You're listening to a Sci-Fi Fangirls podcast. Geek like a girl. Jock, sir, the mighty, he roams through the countryside. He never needs a place to hide. With Gabby as his sidekick, fighting with her little sticks, writing wrongs and singing songs, being mighty all day long. He's Jock, sir, Jocks of the mighty. Hey, Zenites, what's up? I'm Katie Wilson, and welcome back to Xena 25, a 25th anniversary podcast cast brought to you by sci-fi fangirls. I'm so excited about today's episode and I'm sure you all can probably guess why but just in case you're sitting there like hmm I wonder who Katie's gonna have on the podcast this week. Well spoiler alert it is Joxer himself Ted Raimi. I am so excited to chat with him all about his character and what it was like for him to shoot Xena Warrior Princess. So, you know what? Let's, let's like not hesitate on this. Like, let's not wait any longer. I don't want to leave you guys hanging. Let's just dive into this. Well, everyone, I am so extremely excited to be chatting with our guest here today. So, please give it up for Joxer himself, Ted Raimi. Woohoo! I'm, I'm Woo-hoo. filling in any background woohoos that. <laughs> the podcast audience may not be giving me, so woohoo! Oh, I'm just so excited to get to chat with you. What have you been up to? How's everything going? Uh, you have a roast in the oven that I'm really jealous about. Yes. Well, uh, in, in order of your questions, um, I am uh, back to doing what I have done most of my career, which is horror movies and horror television. It's really what I normally do. Um, that's going quite well. Um, I've done, uh, I, I, last year, uh, or was the year before? No, last year I did this um, sh- uh, TV show for Shudder called Dead Wax. It was uh, directed and created by Graham Resnick. It's an excellent spooky little show. I'm very proud of that. Um, and uh, I'm currently working on a video game for Sony. Um, I cannot tell you the specifics or they come, the Sony goons come and, you know, drag you away in the middle of the night for telling them. That's wonderful to work on a video game. I'm another creepy character there. And then I've got a movie playing right now in Sitges, Spain at the Sitges Film Festival um, called Red Light, um, where I'm another uh, maniacal character. So, um, <laughs> so you know, that's sort of what happens when you get older. Your face starts to crag out, and they give you cre- all the creepy roles you've ever wanted. So <laughs> kind of nice, you know. I actually really love it. Uh, in answer to your second question, I'm fine. And the third, uh, the roast in the oven Yes, it's fabulous. It's a brisket. I'm very proud of it. It smells really good. And I cannot wait uh, to get back to examining that thing. And I say that in air quotes. Do you do a lot of cooking? I like to think I, yes, I do a lot of cooking. Uh, Whether I'm good at it or not is is really another uh, speculative issue. Um, I, I enjoy it tremendously though, yes. I've been doing way more cooking than I've ever wanted to this year. Uh, And I feel the same way. It's like, I do it, but am I good at it? Right. Hopefully only getting better, you know? Right. Well, you, you've, you know, I, I was never a guy who bothered cracking a, a cookbook open. I would just sort of sort of wing it. Um, it. That's the kind of thing that would drive my girlfriend completely crazy. She's like, you can't just throw things in a pot. I'd be like, why not? And so it would drive her bananas. So she then brought over all these cookbooks, which we kind of went over and then specifically went, look, it's this much oregano, this much that. So, you know, I kind of got better. Oh man, I come from an Italian family and all, all we're known for is just throwing things in a pot, calling it <laughs> dinner. So 
<laughs> yeah, well, you know, and the you know creation of Europe is another thing you should be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have to wish you a very happy 25th anniversary. Uh, did you ever think that a show you did 25 years ago uh, would still be enjoyed and celebrated today? I didn't think that I would be enjoyed and celebrated 25 years from then. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I didn't think I'd, I'd survive that long. Uh, you know, I, I, I was in those days, I was sort of, you know, hell bent on just having a good time. I, I honestly didn't uh, even expect to be doing any comedy. I'm not a comedy actor primarily. And I fell into that. So no, I didn't expect the show to, to last, but I think a lot of that has to do with primarily with the show itself, uh, which was very, very unique for its time, a uh, groundbreaking, I think. Um, but not the least of which is the performances of Lucy Lawless and Renee O'Connor, who, who really pulled that whole thing through. Um, without them and, you know, the peppering of comedic kind of genius of Bruce Campbell, I, I don't think the show would have had the legs that it, that it has. And, of course, not to mention um, r- the writers of that show really were the ones that made the whole thing, you know, kind of solid because there were all these disparate elements. There was, you know, we had Lucy, Renee, and uh, far, shooting far away in a country like New Zealand, um, and then we, we had these tremendous writers like Adam and Nora K. Foster, R.J. Stewart, and goes on and on. So we, we, it all came together as things do sometimes. You, you can't plan them. It's not like they were meticulously planned. It's sort of, you know, a little spit polish and magic from the air kind of helps a lot. So how, how – because you say you weren't a comedic actor. No. So how did you fall into this role? Did you have to go through an audition process? What was it like – you know, basically getting the role and, and then, you know, basically becoming a huge fan favorite. Oh, well, thank, well, thank you for that, that last comment. That's very kind of you. Um, well, at that point in my career, I had done one uh, indie drama, which kind of got my career started. I'm just, well, the, all the, I'll just go through the big stuff. I did this indie, indie one, which got my career started called Lunatics, A Love Story. That was back in 1990. I did a couple horror movies, including Wes Craven's Shocker. And then I did two Tom Clancy movies back to back. I did Clear and Present Danger and I um, can't remember the name. It was, the, it was the, other, the other Clancy book they'd made into a picture, excuse me for my blanking, but that happens after 40 freaking years. Um, <laughs> so I did those two. And, and then I did a, 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 sh- a show for NBC called Sequest DSV. And I did that for three years. And when that had ended, um, I got a smattering of all these sort of computer hacker parts, which in those days was a brand new character. They didn't have them before the early 90s. Uh, There's being so ubiquitous now that it was really a new thing. And then nothing. So I'd had like six years of really good employment. And then it was crickets uh, when I was uh, 28 or 29, uh, because I was no longer young enough to play those kind of parts, you know. And nothing happened for a whole year. So at that point, I was driving a, a Saturn car. It's an older car that you millennials may not know about, but you might see them on the road here and there as old junkers. But it was new then. I put everything in my car, I jammed it in there, and I was literally leaving uh, my dumpy apartment to relocate to Michigan uh, when I decided to visit a few people one last time. One of them was my old pal, Rob Tapper. 
And I walked into his office and I said, you know, I'm taking off and I just want to say goodbye. <laughs> he said, well, before you go, do you want to go uh, do one guest starring part on my show, Xena, which at that point had been on for, I think only like six or seven episodes. And I said, yes, sure. I have employment. I didn't really care what it was unless it was porn. I didn't really care. So I said, yeah, I didn't even know what it was. So it was all a new experience. I went to New Zealand, did the one episode and thought, well, there, that's that. I then got back in my car literally three weeks later and um, was ready to go again when I got asked back a second time and it sort of went on from there. Wow. So, but, but that was an anomaly career wise. You know, I, 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 after that, you know, my, my agency, I had a new agency at that point and they were hell bent on sending me out for comedy <laughs> Yeah, because they were just, they were like, Oh, you're the comedy guy. And I, I failed every single one of the auditions that I went out for. And the reason is to be a good comedian and be successful in Hollywood television, you have to do what the script tells you to do. So take a classic sitcom example of friends that we all know, wonderful, fun, awesome show. The way that those actors typically, typically read those lines are the pauses that the writers have written in, right? You pause and you pause here, you know, Chandler says this and there's a pause and and I wouldn't do that. I would go into these sitcom readings and I would, would just do what I thought was funny, but the writers who were all sitting there only think what the writer's scripts work, how, how they work. And, and so I failed them all. And, um, yes. And then I had, uh, I had a long, uh, another long period of where I, I did nothing for, for quite some time. And, uh, then I started, as my face started cragging out, I again started playing cops and creepy lawyers. And, you know, uh, I did a few episodes of, of some cop shows where I was sexual deviant. So I was all kinds of strange things, you know, so, but, but, uh, but it's nice to do something the kids can watch as well. So that I enjoyed that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and gosh, how, how amazing though, because I hear so many stories about actors that are like, I'm packing it up. I'm, I'm quitting acting or I'm moving away. Uh, and then they have something really monumental happen for their career. Uh, part of me is like, man, should I like get out of town? <laughs> yeah. But that's incredible. Like, yeah. and, and then to go to New Zealand and not only, you know, do an episode, but become like, you became what I would consider like a series regular on that show. Yeah, almost. I mean, technically no. And I think that was sort of mostly for, you know, payment purposes. If you're a series regular, then, you know, your pay gets bumped up X amount per year and all this kind of financial and, you know, logistical difficulties happen to the producers. And so I don't think they made me one for that reason, but I was in roughly every other episode, I believe. Yeah. Do you remember your first day on set? Do you remember, uh, you know, I do remember. I remember I, well, first of all, in those days, no one, no Americans, I shouldn't say none, of course, but as the general viewing populace was unaware of how Kiwis sounded. You know, I, the only exposure we'd had even close to that dialect was in a movie called Crocodile Dundee. And that was at that point, like 10 years before that. And that was, of course, wasn't even New Zealand. It was an Australian accent, you know, which was different. So I was shocked at how people were sounding. I'd never heard anything like it before. No American actors really had. I do remember that. I remember meeting uh, uh, Lucy and Renee for the first time. I was very, very pleased to have an all-female cast Uh, (laughs) just coming off of a a show that was about 95% male. 
Wow. You know, it was, a, it was a sci-fi show about a submarine, you know, so it was a lot of military stuff. A lot of people go, stay a You know, guys, you know, you got guns in your belts and you're doing all kinds of, you know, commando sort of stuff. Uh, and I mean that in the actual commando sense, not that we weren't wearing underwear. <laughs> well, sometimes we wouldn't either. Who, who can tell when you're doing TVs? You might not you be wearing underwear. can't tell, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but so that was really refreshing. It was nice to have a nice female energy, you know, and I, it, was, it was sort of nice. And the, the producer, Rob Tapper, uh, I don't know if he did it consciously or unconsciously. I suspect consciously because he's, he's got great instincts with regard to comedy. And you have at, at two very, I guess, waspy Gentile girls, uh, whiter than snow, and then there's this kind of, my character was this sort of, you know, nebbishy Jewish guy. And it's a classic team up for comedy, you know, Woody Allen, Mad About You. It's just, I don't know why it's funny. It's just funny, you know. And uh, so we sort of played on that quite a bit during the, during the show. But I do remember the first day and it was, it was incredibly refreshing to, uh, to, to, to have such uh, kind and um, pleasant energy on, on set. It was a nice change. Do you remember sort of the process you went went through to find the character of Joxer? Or was it more of like, a, I'm just going to get on set and whatever comes out of my mouth is the character? Well, uh, it wasn't hard because the, I don't remember who wrote that first episode I was in. I think it was R.J. Stewart, if I'm not mistaken. I think he created it. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure he did. The character had a big mouth and it was based on a premise that any dramatic actor would also find appealing, which is he is nothing that he says he is, right? And so that's good for drama, and it's also excellent for comedy. In this case, he's the worst warrior in the world who believes he's the greatest warrior in the world. So I would just play that up every time I opened my mouth for any dialogue, and it typically worked. And that's really a tribute not to me, but to R.J. Stewart coming up with that idea because it's almost foolproof. You know, it's pretty hard to mess it up. You know, it's like baking, you know, going back to baking, it's like, it's like eggs or an apple pie. Even if you completely screwed it up, you basically have to try to ruin those dishes to make them lousy. And that's sort of what that character was, was like. Well, it might, might have been his idea, but you definitely brought life to the character. So oh, you, you gotta, you gotta give yourself a little bit of credit oh, there. I, I appreciate that very much. Uh, that's very, very <laughs> kind of you. I can only I can only imagine what the role of Joxer would have been if uh, if it weren't you portraying him. Oh, that's very kind of you. Well, look, uh, look, a lot a lot of the uh, you know a, a lot of the credit for Joxer goes to uh, goes to Lucy Lawless, you know, because when you are starring in a TV show, it can be challenging for some stars to relinquish little jewels like you know laughter to other actors. It's challenging. You, you work very, very hard your whole life to become a star and you finally become a television star. And then here comes somebody who might be doing something very goofy that is distracting from your, you know, viewership to some degree. Um, but Lucy was very, very welcoming. And then she, she said to me once, if I'm not mistaken, she said, uh, it's a good thing you're here because my character Zena can't do the things that you're doing and we need some comedy on the show. So uh, that was uh, incredibly generous. And I, I don't know if I had ever heard anything like that come out of a TV star's mouth, and I may never again, but it was nice to hear at least once. 
Yeah, well, I think personally for me, that's that's one of the huge reasons why I love the show so much, because, you know, the show was able to tackle these, you know, dark and dramatic and gritty episodes, but also have those like light, warm, funny, comedic episodes, too. You don't see that a lot on television today. No, you don't. Um, I, I think that's due to two two factors. One, it was it was USA Network sort of through NBC, you know, and it, it, it so we didn't have the big parent NBC going, okay, now, you know, here's, you know, this is our idea for friends. This is our idea, you know, for this shit. So you're going to follow this. So we were a low budget show. We didn't have that much money for quite a long time. And so they sort of ignored that. We're like, you're not spending a lot. You're making some money. So, okay, whatever. We're going to play golf. You just make sure that shows, you know, gets done. And the second thing was our fabulous writing team, uh, while they were writing these awesome scripts, we would often change things on the fly for better, sometimes for worse. But it gave it a freshness that I think a lot of shows couldn't really match because um, typically what happens on set is if you deviate one line in any show, cable now, streaming, whatever, those writers will be on you like a pack of wolves. What, you know, stop it, don't do it. You know, they'll make calls back to the office. Writers will come rushing in with pens and, you know, laptops to change things if needed, but you don't change things. But in those days, this is pre, you know, this is really just pre-internet days. When we changed something and we wanted a writer to know, which was still the protocol, a call had to be made to Los Angeles, which was, I think it was, five hours difference and a day difference. Also, um, you had to call on a satellite phone. Like it was kind of an event. So you couldn't just, you know, now you just pick up a cell phone and it doesn't matter. But then it was kind of an, like, find the sat phone and do the thing. And so writers just weren't called sometimes, or if they were, they had, they were, they had very little recourse. We'd go, well, we're changing this. So, you know, kind of thing. And for better and for worse, I'm sure it, pissed a few of them off, but um, it did give it a freshness, which I thought was pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy to kind of hear the differences, you know, uh, I've been on lots of film and television sets today, but gosh, just to kind of hear a little bit about what it was like to shoot something um, even as recent as the nineties is just so, so cool and, and kind of refreshing to hear about. It was interesting. I mean, you know, and, and um, that show's success really did boggle my mind. It was, but unfortunately and fortunately for me, I never experienced any of any of it because none of us did. But in that, and that's because we were in New Zealand the whole time it was airing in the States or nearly the whole time. So whereas a concurrent show, say like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, another popular show, um, I'm sure Sarah Michelle Geller was enjoying, you know, all of the perks that you can as a, on a successful show. I'm not talking about so much being paid well or something, but I mean, you know, you, you, you get this audition or that audition, or you, you might, for example, on best, you know, this, this restaurant reservation or that (laughs) never anything, no one ever recognized me, which ever in New Zealand during all those years, because it didn't start airing until the show had completed. So, but I'll tell you that. So that's the bad part, but the good part was we were never jaded into thinking we were great because no one ever, sat around and went, boy, wasn't your show terrific, since no one had seen it. So every episode, we, it's almost like we were working from zero, 
Like, I hope this show makes it. I hope because we don't have any <laughs> reviews and I hope it makes it, you know. So we sort of had that opening night vibe almost every time we would walk onto set, you know, and it really wasn't until the end of the sixth season that that show started, if I remember this correctly, I think I am, that that show started airing in New Zealand and people would come up to us all the time. Oh man, oh, it's Joxer, it's Xena. It's- yeah, I've actually heard a lot of the actors from the show say something similar where it's like, they didn't realize the popularity of the show until they went back to America or went to a convention. Yes. Now, do you do you remember your first ever Xena convention? Um, yes, actually, I think I do. Oddly, I, I think it was in Canada. I've only done one other convention before. It was a sci-fi convention for my previous show. And I was waiting to be called, and they said, oh, here's Ted Raimi, and the crowd went bananas, and I said, I cannot believe these people know who I am from this show. At that point, I think I'd only done like six episodes or something. So I was very, very pleased. And it's always nice. Look, your, your job, you know, you can, it's, it's easy to get kind of um, maybe a little distracted by the popularity of the show and stuff like that. And that's a wonderful thing. But your job as an actor, you only have one job. And that's to entertain people. Your job isn't to instruct. Your job isn't to be a star or be a co-star. It's to be an entertainer, you know, so... Uh, the fact that I was being entertaining was all I cared about. And that was a great, great, uh, great accolade that day. Well, I think that's so amazing. And also to this day, people are still cosplaying as Joxer. Like I'll run into Joxers at random conventions, not even Xena conventions. Well, that's like, crazy. Yeah. yeah have, have you seen anyone uh, in cosplay as Joxer uh, yeah. at any of the conventions? I have. Um, I have. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, every time I see it, I'm like, is that what I had to wear? Like with all those here? <laughs> Jesus. It's a classic. That thing is just, you know, messed up. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's what I think. But I, I'm very, very flattered when I, when I see that. And um, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to have in my, you know, memory and cap as a show from the past. It, it really is. That show became a darling of some of the gay community. Mm-hmm. That was something that you never saw that I had never experienced in the movies or television shows I had done. I'm sure they're, of course, people who are gay, they're going to watch every show, but they really made themselves visible. And I had never seen that before. And I I thought it was so uh, great and like a a sort of a great that, that we were also the favorites of these guys and some of the favorites of the squarest Americans in the world. Yeah. No, who, you know, so I, I, I love that. Yeah. And it, it's so cool because I, I personally feel that the show was, you know, open doors for, you know, not only women to be in these strong leadership roles uh, to see women as warriors, um, but also for the LGBT community, as well as seeing gay characters on television. I feel like Xena kind of started that or at least opened the doors enough um, to allow for uh, future shows to, to walk through. Yes, I couldn't believe it when we were referencing that. There's no, there's no, no, nowhere in the show does, you know, Lucy or Renee say, well, uh, as long as we're sleeping together, we might as well <laughs> blankety blank, you know. Um, yeah. As long as we're dating, we might as well blank. Let's get, so that nothing is ever said. It's all implied. And I think that's um, partly due to, it's a fun tease factor, but also, the standards of the day were much, much different. And it was sort of that borderline time when 
television could say certain things and they could not say certain things, you know, mm-hmm. of course those are all out the window now, but um, for the most part, but uh, it wasn't then. Do you have, or, or still have any of the props or costume pieces yep. from the set? I do. I've ooh, got, ooh, I've got most me. everything. I've got the, the whole, the jockster's full costume. I've got everything. Shut up. Really? That's amazing. Yeah, I took it the last day. They were like, well, you want this or not? I said, yeah. So I, took the damn thing home with me. It was in a giant box and sword. I had a hell of a time getting that sword through customs, but. Um, <laughs> Wait, have, have you put it on since? Oh, no, I never. Why? No, but, you know, I, people ask me sometimes, uh, you know, do you go back and watch your old movies and uh, watch TV shows? And, you know, do you have costumes and stuff you might wear again? No, the answer is no, because um, it's like looking in a mirror. You know, I don't, it doesn't help me. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of fun for, I'm only saving it in case some kid, um, in the future or some museum is interested in it, but I, I don't have any need to look at it particularly now. Oh man. I would love to see that photo on your Instagram though. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, yeah I, I, just take a picture yeah. of the box with just like the helmet poking out. And I think we'd all be really happy. Yeah. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, you know, I, with regard to that, um, people find it, what, very, very uh, strange and sometimes unbelievable when I tell them I've only seen half of the things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Movies and television shows and stuff. And that includes Xena. I've only wow. about half those episodes. And it's not because I didn't like the show or because I was disinterested in it, but after I see the monitor and see how my performance turned out, I sort of don't feel a need to look at it again. And that's the reason I don't need to put the costume on again. You know, it's like, I've, I've done that and this sort of thing. And it was fun. I'm glad I did it. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Either actors love watching their final performances or they hate it. Um, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen someone be like, oh, just kind of, you know, I'm in the middle. It's like, it's usually one of the other. It is. Um, it is. That's really it's interesting. Just a question if I can learn from it or if I can't. But, you know, once I see the playback in the monitor, I'm, I'm kind of done. <laughs> you know, then oh, the editor and the director to, you know, make their own TV show the way that they feel it needs to be. Yeah. So you actually uh, told us that you hadn't had the opportunity to talk about Xena in a while. No. Um, how come? Um, well, I, it's, it's an anomaly in my career. It's, like I said, it's, people don't really know me for comedy. They just know me for doing you know, these straight parts, which I typically prefer to play. So it just simply doesn't get talked about very much, that's all. Um, and I also, I do get requests now and again, but I, I think Lucy and Renee have said it all and they should be the spokespeople of what that show should be presented as not me of course I'm just a guest a guest star on it so um I prefer that they they talk about it especially when it comes to uh the lesbian and gay community transgender community it's it's really not not I have nothing I shouldn't be talking about it. That's all there is to Oh, I, I respectfully disagree because I, I have personally heard stories from fans who claim that your character of Joxer changed their lives. Uh, um, how? How? Um, be a, be- <laughs> a, a braggart and a blowhard? How? <laughs> because because Joxer offered people that relief. They they He offered people the opportunity to laugh and to to maybe not take life or their situation so seriously. Um, and I think that was really important. You know, I, I don't think Joxer was just there to, you know, be, be that, you know, be that blowhard. I really do think that he was there to offer something to either the story or to the characters, you know, because you, you had some episodes where 
Zena or Gabrielle were doing quirky, funny things. Yeah. But usually when we had Joxer there, it was Zena and Gabrielle doing very serious things. And Joxer was there to lighten the mood, to offer that different perspective on a situation from the other characters. So oh, I feel like... I didn't the- really think about it that way. Uh, yes. I, I mean, with <laughs> regard to that, I think you're right. He certainly did that. And I'm glad if people people take that aspect of that character and, uh, and run with it because you certainly do need to look at life in any number of different ways because it can be much too serious. And that I agree with. What, what boggles me is when people say, oh, I, I really love that character and I just wanted to be like Joxer so much. I think I'm hoping that's what they wanted uh, and not perhaps the fact that he lies constantly. He cheats. He beer drinker. Uh, and loves hookers, you know, all those things <laughs> I hope they wouldn't be. I mean, it's not a person that I would want to be, which is why it's fun to play him. Yeah, I don't want to be yeah. a doctor. I don't want to be a guy that, you know, drinks beer and goes to whorehouses all day. That's you no, know, and, but, losers. But, but as, a, <laughs> as a comic character, I thought that was quite good. And, and, and he does have a nice different perspective on things. And that's good, too. Well, the best type of characters are flawed characters, but I, I heard a quote once that said, uh, I'd rather be optimistic and wrong than pessimistic and right. And I think that Joxer was the epitome of being optimistic and wrong. Um, <laughs> yes, I think I think that's true. And I, I suppose there's value in both of those, I guess. You don't want to be wrong all the time, and yet you don't want to be a pessimist all the time. So it's, it's true. It's just... <laughs> It's very interesting, yes. But also just he had this confidence that I feel like, you know, some people just kind of need, you know, obviously without the lying and, and, and stuff, but, you know, you can't, you can't claim to be the best if you're not the best. But he did offer uh, the audience some form of, of believing in yourself. Um, now, whether, what, to what degree is debatable, but um, I have heard people say that they really admired Joxer because he thought he could do everything. Yes, he you know. did. He did. And, and I think that I agree. Look, the fact that we're talking about this <laughs> 25 years later means I guess I did something right. And those writers did something right. But especially Lucy and Renee did something right in their performances. But so I'm pleased as punch about that. But the thing that's always boggled me all these years is I say, you don't want to emulate Jock. So you don't want to always be a Pollyanna and think everything's always going to work out or you'll turn out. And I thought he was a funny character because you'll turn out like that. You'll blow steam. You'll say stupid things uh, and your life will end in horrible tragedy, (laughs) but that's a comedy. So it doesn't. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing about, you know, this kind of stuff, you know, I just, you know, I I would just still this damn boggle, like man of all the characters, I, you know, I'd want to be, I guess, Xena. I wouldn't want to be Joxer, for heaven's sakes. I wouldn't want to be a... Look, if he hadn't found... <laughs> let's face it. Let's stick an alternate universe with Joxer. This is kind of fun. Ooh, okay. All right? Let's say Joxer never met Xena or Gabrielle. Wanting to be a warrior, he would have probably struck out on his first... Gone out on his first mission to find adventure, and he probably would have been maimed or killed. This is, after all, <laughs> 400 BC or something we're talking, right? 300 BC Greece. Right. He would have lasted. He would have probably gotten sepsis, and his life would have been over at 18. But because he met those guys who went, hey, dumbbell, come here. You know, it's like, it's like dealing with someone who's maybe not so bright. You know, you have to sort of take care of them like a, like a puppy or something, you know? And that, and that, and that I think, enhanced 
you know, Zena's appeal as well, which it should have. But yeah, I mean, I, he's not a person I ever want to be, but I, I'm very glad that I was able to play him, especially for the, for the comedy, you know, and, um, and he, he, he was always pretty good at, uh, Maybe not in the long run getting out of situations, but he was pretty good at, I mean, just the way that he was able to kind of buddy up with Callisto uh, in the episode Callisto was very fascinating. Um, but I think that wouldn't have paid off in the end. I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> if he hadn't met Zena. So not a very nice uh, character. Um, Hudson played a tougher, mean character in that show, of course. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So I have a little fun game for you if you're up for it. This sounds good. All right. It's called Ted Talks. Uh, (laughs) in this game uh we would love you to spill the tea on some of your castmates oh boy okay well i'm gonna uh, ask you that sounds very saucy um (laughs) i'm gonna ask you uh (laughs) i can tell you never there and that wasn't my underwear oh no i shouldn't have said anything oh no no go on go on i'm 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 just gonna ask uh, if you can remember back to being on set and shooting uh, the show, uh, I'm going to ask you who was most likely to be doing that, uh, doing a thing. And okay. you have to pick one of your castmates, okay? okay? So I have, so I can choose between anyone? So I can Lucy, Renee, or Carl? Any one of your castmates Never. from Xena? Absolutely. Okay, sure. Go ahead. All right. Who was the most likely to be at the craft service table? Me. <laughs> Snack of choice? Well, it's a bit of a trick question. New Zealand in those days didn't really have craft service. Uh, so it's a tough question to answer. They would do things in the old school British way, which is they'd have tea at four o'clock. <laughs> it's true. So I mean, they'd have coffee, yes. but on the rare occasions they would have snacks, man. I'd be all over there. My snack of choice? Oh, come on, man. Um, I would do, uh, I'd, I'd try to be healthy at first. So I'd start with the celery and then it was M&Ms all day. <laughs> well, it's funny you brought that up because I, I literally just spoke with uh, Lucy and Renee um, a couple days ago and they were they went off on telling me all about tea time and the biscuits and the and how directors hated it because <laughs> it was yeah. so many breaks throughout the day. So it's funny that you brought that up as yeah. well. Yeah, American directors would get very confused. You know, we, we, uh, <laughs> we certainly uh, were, we, American directors were like, you mean the entire crew and cast? are unavailable for 20 minutes for no particular reason. They're like, yeah, Mike, that's right. That's what we're doing, yeah. You're not going to be here. You're not going to be there. You're going to be eating biscuits. Like, like, you know, directors were pulling their hair out. They lost a half an hour because, you know, everyone's sitting around eating, you know, sandwiches, so. I love it. All right, uh, who was most likely to break character during a scene? (sighs) Me. Really? Yeah, I've screwed up a lot. I would laugh so much. In fact... I do recall, <clears throat> I would usually start it, oftentimes with Renee, I don't know why, but we would start laughing, and then Lucy would start laughing, and then the three of us would typically look out at the crew. We couldn't help ourselves, 20 minutes we'd be giggling. We'd look out at the crew, and they were pissed off. They were like, <laughs> I just want to go home, mate. I don't want to be here watching you, you know, us three just yammering. So, yeah, probably me, I guess. I'm just implicating the crap out of myself. I'm putting myself, so... Yeah, I hope you'll ask a few where I'm not guilty. I'm trying to be as honest <laughs> well, as I can with you. It's funny you said that because I asked Lucy and Renee the same question and they said, no one, no one ever broke on set. And I was like, mm, I'm going to ask Ted. That's a lie to me, I would say. And then maybe followed by Renee. Lucy is a reluctant <laughs> third, but she couldn't help herself sometimes. 
who was most like their character? Renee. Yeah. Renee O'Connor. She's most like Gabrielle. I think she's, you know, I think she's, by her nature, she's helpful, attentive, kind, belief-oriented. She's absolutely most like her character, yeah. Aw. Who is most likely to pull a prank on set? Uh, probably me. <laughs> really? <laughs> probably. I don't know. It's a tie. I mean, some sometimes it, I think it would be Lucy, sometimes Renee, but I... My favorite thing to do while we were shooting was I would, there's a lot of downtime between <clears throat> while they're setting up the next shots and stuff. And I would frequently like to take Lucy and Renee's script and go through it. And actors like, we all write notes within our script. And typically the notes are something like, you know, um, the reason I'm saying this is because of uh, what Callisto did in the previous scene, or they might say uh, more angry here or um, to be defensive here, things of this nature so that, you can get a sense of where to stand on an emotional level within the scene. But I would take Lucy and Renee's script and I'd write things like, make sure my hair looks super pretty here. Do a hair <laughs> flip. Um, flash my blue eyes just once here. You know, I'd write stuff like that. <laughs> and they would, <laughs> you know, and I, I think they liked it. Sometimes I think they would be like, what the F is this crap you have written in my script? I do it I know, as often as I could. You know, so did did you ever write something in there that they actually did? <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, that'd be funny. Their, their legends had started preceding them. And I just thought that was very funny because she was Lucy Lawless playing a part and she was Renee O'Connor playing a part. And then after about three or four years, she was Xena who was played by Lucy Lawless. You know, it mm-hmm. reversed. It just absolutely, <laughs> people just were calling her Xena. You know, yeah. not, not Lucy. And so I just couldn't help myself. I had to, you know, just tease her about that a little bit. That's so great. Yeah. Uh, which cast member would agree to drive you to the airport? None. None? No, no, no. no. It's, they'd be like, you might take a get a driver. No. Uh, I mean, I really? suppose they would. I shouldn't say that. That's kind of mean. I mean, <laughs> I'm just thinking, who would agree to take me to the airport? Kevin Smith, the late Kevin Smith. Oh. Kevin Smith would be like, Man, you need to go to the airport. Okay, let me, after I put my kids to bed and oh after God. I've done the gardening and finished the dishes, I will take you. I think he was excellent. <laughs> yeah, his life That's ended amazing. much too soon. Yeah. Who would help you bury a body? Nobody, man. I'd do it myself. <laughs> I'd be like, get out of my way. I'm, I'm putting this to ground. That stuff tickles the hell out of me. I love that morbid stuff. <laughs> Okay, but say you had to have someone help you. Like, oh. who would be the one person you could go to to ask? Uh, Charlie Haskell, who was a great director. He would direct a million of them. Charlie would be up for that because Charlie's the kind of guy who was up for anything. He was one of the best directors we had along with, you know, I'd say, oh, my God. We had, we had speaking of which, just on the off question, sorry, but we had some great directors that need to be mentioned. In case no one's mentioned him, Charlie Haskell was a brilliant, he is a brilliant guy and still is a brilliant director. He directed some of the best episodes we had. Josh Becker, just the same. Some of the best episodes. Bruce Campbell directed some of the best episodes. Um, um, a Canadian guy by the name of TJ Scott also was a phenomenal director. And, uh, oh man, we had more that I'm not mentioning. So forgive me, directors, if I'm not mentioning. But that was such a big part of the show's success was that, Rob Tappert, the producer, just knew which directors were going to, you know, really amp that up. But back to your question, I would get um, Charlie Haskell. He would cool. do because he's up for anything. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I love that you're, uh, you choose none of the cast. No. <laughs> like which, no one would help me bury no, a body. But he would. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, that was our game. But Good now game. I'm just curious. Uh, yeah. Who was your favorite, if you had to pick, who was your favorite scene partner? That question is like asking someone, do you like your dad or your mom better? I know. I'm sorry. I I can't answer that question, but (laughs) because not because it's like a little uncomfortable, but more (laughs) that I enjoyed working with both of those girls and all the guys on the show uh, pretty equally much. They were all talented and they all had different things to offer. You know, I. The reason I'm asking is because I did ask Lucy and Renee and they both said you. Well, of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. They have to because they can't compliment each other. But, um, well, I told them they weren't allowed to pick each other. Yeah, no, they can't. They can't do that. Oh, well, there you go. So they had no choice. So that was a rigged. So in other words, no, that, yep, that was rigged on your end and rigged at my end. That, that was just, you get a virtual slap. Not oh, me from another girl. Quack, quack. Oh, dang. Oh, man. I think this is something that you like, but it's something that I definitely uh, am a huge fan of, but stunts. Stunts. Joxer had some really fun stunts. I want to know if you can remember any crazy stunts that you had to do and and how you felt about it in general. Well, well, first of all, Katie, I wish I could tell you that it was me doing most of those, but in fact, it was not. And the credit to that goes for most of the years I was doing that show – a guy named Mark Roundthwaite did my stunts. He's a guy with kind of amazing, I mean, he has my build, my profile. He was really strange, um, but, you know, from the side, he really looked like me. And he was great because, great stunt guy because he would fall like, you know, within the jockster kind of goofy, crazy way. Um, I would, whenever possible, try and do my own fight scenes and stunts and stuff. But it was seldom given to me because you can't have an actor out of commission, you know, there has to be dialogue. So they give that to the stunt guys, but you know, I would do plenty of falls. That's for sure. I just wouldn't do through plate glass windows, you know, swinging from chandeliers, flipping over, you know, treetops and stuff. That was not me. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that would be really dangerous to allow the actors to do, to do all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then also it's an insurance kind of obviously nightmare. If an actor gets injured, then, you know, there's Screen Actors Guild and <clears throat> everyone's up your butt with a microscope asking how that happened. So instead, they just have, you know, your stunt guy just kind of comes in and does that stuff. I wish it, I could say, I am not Tom Cruise with regard to stunts. I'm like, <laughs> but you are good at stunts. I was lucky enough to to get to witness you do a stunt in person one time. What? Uh, very, very when small was stunt. When was that? You presented with Zoe Bell at the Streamy Awards. Oh, yeah. For Angel of Death. Oh, and God about you did that. a stunt with her. <laughs> Man, that was a while ago. That was probably 10 years ago or something. Um, yeah, that's a while. So what were you, like 10? When no. <laughs> take you there, for heaven's sakes? Jesus. No. Um, uh, I was like, too young to see that stuff. But yeah, I remember that. And then Zoe was, uh, <laughs> Zoe Bell. I love Zoe Bell. And <laughs> for the longest time, the only time I would ever meet her was when what they call second team would come on the set. So I'm, you might know, but for the fans who don't or listeners, the first team is considered the main group of actors who are on camera. And this includes the photographer and crew and et cetera, and the director. But then there's something called the second team, which is 
other actors dressed as you who are brought onto set to do all the shots that that we are unable because of time restrictions to do. So in other words, second team would do, you know, walking that scene where if you have like a long shot and there's Lucy and Renee walking in the distance, that's not them. That's your second team. If you have um, me, you know, kind of thinking from a shot from behind, that's not me. That's someone else. <laughs> also included in second team are stunts. So Zoe Bell was a second team stunt person, which means that when Lucy would leave, Zoe Bell would come in and do all the stuff, jumping on the horse and off the horse and doing the rolls and all that fight stuff. And I could never remember her name. I don't know why. I think it was the name Zoe. I had never heard it before. And I couldn't get it in my head for weeks. I said, it was Z- Z- Zeke, Zally, Zally, like Zally, Zally. And I could never remember. And she got so mad at me oh, no. about the first six weeks. She'd be like, it's Zally. I was like, oh, Zoe, Zoe. And I, for some reason, I, I just kept, couldn't remember the girl's name. And we've since become quite good friends, you know, but, uh, but um, I do remember. <laughs> never, never quite, quite her name sticking in my head for some foolish reason. Well, I really enjoyed Angel of Death. That was a, that was a fun little series. Oh, thanks. That was sort of like a, a, a an early foray into web movies. Mm-hmm. Now, that was sort of one of the first ones I think that I had ever been in. Yeah, it was really well produced, and I I was like, oh my gosh, look! It's I, I got really excited at the streamies getting uh, getting to see that. So yeah, that, that was, was fun. fun. Those streamies, I, I enjoyed those those ceremonies. <laughs> Uh, so we did talk a little bit about like how Xena had its serious episodes and also its comedic episodes. Yes. Two two questions. Which do you think you preferred as an actor? And do you have a favorite episode? Oh, um, I, I, I think I preferred the comedy uh, episodes because it was built to be a comedy. Um, it was built to be, well, I shouldn't say that. I suppose I should say, the episodes that I was in were designed to be comedies, or at least those moments were. So I always felt rather out of place when it was a serious moment and a serious episode and I had to do serious things. I was capable of it, of course, but I really felt uh, out of place as that comedic element coming in to do something serious. And I'm sorry, what, what was the second part of your question, Katie? Do you have a favorite episode you were in? Oh, um, yeah. I, I do actually. <laughs> uh, married with fish sticks, which is oh my gosh, typically <laughs> an audience least favorite. I think <laughs> I've read a few things over the years. Like I love these three episodes the best. I think these are the effing worst episodes, and that's always comes in bottom three. It's my favorite one. Um, it's like, why? <laughs> uh, well, it's like it's sort of like well, I mean, the episode is that, but it's like someone dropped three tabs of acid. And drank a quart of J&B and then went, oh, let's write this episode. That's not what happened at all, I'm sure. It was probably written rather soberly. But still, it, it feels like, yeah, it feels like an acid trip. And I, I love that, you know, while we were shooting it, all I could think was, dear God, are we going to air this thing? Like, this is not even a Xena episode at all. It's just its own animal. And it was, it was so outrageous. Just like the musical at that time was, oh, so nobody had done a musical on a, on a network show. It hadn't been done. And, and, you know, I was like, are we really going to do this? Like singing and dancing in the middle of a drama? Like, I mean, there was a few forays like cop rock uh, years earlier had tried it a little bit. It wasn't like musicals weren't a thing, but 
not for a fantasy show that had never yeah. been done. So that, and not to mention the musical was a serious episode. Quite serious. Yeah. <laughs> quite serious. So it was more like opera in that sense. Yeah. It was more like a watching an opera as opposed to, um, you know, with pop music, you know. Well, that's funny then that Married with Fish Sticks is your favorite episode. Yeah. I remember seeing it uh, when it first aired and being like, wow, yeah, this is outlandish and I'm not sure how I feel about it. But then watching it later, uh, as an adult, I'm like, oh, that episode is just fun. Yes. Like, it is absolutely so fun to just turn that episode on and just... It's really quite strange. And the only thing I don't like about it is that Lucy's not in it. Mm. She's not in that episode, but that has nothing to do with the fact that I happen to think it's great. Um, in fact, it's it's diminished because of she's, she's not in it. But what's interesting about that episode, too, and looking back in retrospect, you couldn't do that really today on a major show, which is to say, oh, well... The star can't be in this particular episode. So let's just do something outrageous, right? Yeah. Let's do something that's so far outside the bounds of what the show is because it's only one. It would never do that. And the only reason we were allowed is because, again, we were USA. We were sort of on the outside. NBC wasn't paying close attention to what we were doing. We were rather isolated in New Zealand delivering these episodes back to Los Angeles. So I, I don't know if that could happen again with our connected world. I'm not sure we'd get away with it. It's not that people <laughs> don't want to do it. I just think we actually were the, you know, the thief that, that stole the, uh, the network show episode away. Yeah, it was a fun one. It was a fun one. Yeah, I don't think people would be able to get away with it on the level that, that you guys did, for sure. Um, I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, are there any Easter eggs that you remember from the show that maybe fans wouldn't know? Good question. Um, I well, fans know. Uh, casual observers, maybe. I mean, we reused so many sets and redressed them so many times that there were three or four episodes there in a row where you know they'd walk into a palace, a bar. Sounds like a joke, but they walk into a palace, <laughs> a bar, and then a whorehouse, and they're all the same room, just redressed. You know. Yeah. But you can do that, Wazina, because nobody knows what Grecian rooms look like 300 BC. You know, they just maybe they look like that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. The magic of filmmaking. I think that's something that's so cool. Right. Whereas if you said this show takes place in 1978, a lot of people remember 1978 and you couldn't really fool them. Also, it's easy to look at records, but we sort of had free reign. So we reused a lot of things. I only, here's another one too. The sword that I used, the famous Joxer sword, sword uh, was uh, mostly plastic or rubber. And only for close-ups would they get the big shiny reel iron metal jocks are sort out, but the rest of the time it was just this kind of crappy plastic rubber thing I'm carrying around on my side, which is why I'm able to do flips and rolls and stuff. Cause if you actually have a giant metal sword on your side, you'll basically break your hip, even though you're not 60. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, all right. So tiny, tiny little sidebar real quick. Yes. Uh, I'm also a really big fan of legend of the seeker, Oh, yes. uh, which no. you, you did guest on a few times. Yeah. Uh, times, I think. How did, how did that come about? Is that another Rob Tappert, uh, yes, hey, come hang was, out? Not, yes, I was, uh, I just got a call. Uh, Rob said, look, we got, you want to do this bit on my show? I, I was like, yeah, I would love to. And it was, uh, came, came by and that was a great experience. It was excellent writing. And uh, those two actors, Bridget and Craig, I believe their name was, were, they were excellent acting partners. And the weird thing about that show was it was a little kind of uh, like my own acid trip and that, Many of those sets were still Zenith standing sets all those years later. So 10 years after that show was done, there were 
some outdoor sets that were built on these farmers' fields. And the farmers had them there, and they, they weren't using that land anyway, so they just went, oh, yeah, no reason to knock that down, mate. I'll just keep that there. So Rob went, oh, so the set's still there? Yeah, so they, we just went back to some of those old Xena sets and we shot. It was, like, it was like shooting in an old, you know, universal backlot or something. It was crazy to just reuse it. Are they still there? I couldn't tell you. Um, I would <laughs> guess not after, because they were only meant to last maybe a couple years. And yeah. Those New Zealand rainy winters probably annihilated them by now. Oh. But, uh, but it's possible. I'm sure if you're a big fan, you could... You could go to New Zealand, and if those farmers were amenable, and um, you could go. You know. That's awesome. Has Has anyone ever asked you about like a Xena reboot or revival, and and where do you land on that? Frequently. <laughs> Frequently, they ask me about it. Um, look, if they ever did it, I would gladly come back as like Joxer's dad or something, <laughs> or Joxer's <laughs> uncle or something. There's no way I could do that crap now. You sure you, can. you know, I'm 54. I'd like doing those. Ro- I mean, look, I probably could do most of them, but it's not fun. Look, it's a different when you're in your, you know, 20s. The comedy is much different than when you're in your 50s. It, it had to be a complete rewrite. And then you'd wreck the character, you know, so it can't be me anymore. It's got to be somebody, you know, 25, you know, <laughs> playing Joxer. And there's so many great comedians out there that could do that, you know, and I think that'd be a great idea for some other actor. Do you do you have anyone in mind that you would you would be like oh that'd be a good joxer yeah you want somebody like well let me think who oh, there's so many good guys out there it I hurts me want, to ask look you know you want you want somebody like look you'd have to recast it you couldn't every time they try and cast you know according to who they were before it never works never you're like you know like part of the reason there's no new raiders is because if you keep trying to cast a young Harrison Ford you're not going to get Harrison Ford. You're going to get somebody else, right? It works very little. For example, a good example of that is, say, um, well, they're not new anymore, but but the J.J. Abrams Star Trek pictures, you know, Chris Pine is a great Captain Kirk. He's got as much charisma and drive and verve as William Shatner did, in my opinion, in those, 19, in those 60s days. But he's different than William Shatner. He's his own thing. But if they tried to cast a young William Shatner, it wouldn't have really worked. And so I, you, you might want somebody like, a younger Jonah Hill. If you had a younger Jonah Hill of about 10 years ago, he'd be great. You can imagine that guy. He'd be kind of falling all over the place and kind of, you know, he'd be a great choice. Yeah, I can see it. I'm one of those fans that really just doesn't want to see a reboot. I would love, I would love, you know, just to get like a little movie or a little, uh, even just like a little short mini series just so we can get you know all the og actors back and yeah and stuff. i mean but I, I, I hear feeling. what you're saying look i i get it I'm, I'm a fan myself of many shows um but for me some of them live best in memory it's like raiders like look i i had the i had the fortune to work with harrison ford on two movies uh he is a is was and hopefully will be for a long time a tremendous actor he's the, the guy's just got so much charisma plus he's he is talented in a way that can only be learned through experience besides having a natural ability. That said, perhaps any more Raiders movies just might give that guy a heart attack, you know, to the point where <laughs> yeah. you just get to this age where you just can't do that stuff anymore. I, I love Raiders. And I'd love to see new Raiders and he should be in it, but maybe he shouldn't be indie anymore. The indie, you know, 
as much as I love it so much, you know, like some of them, some things. And I think jocks are, uh, for me, if they were making a Tina TV show tomorrow, I mean, hell, who am I, who am I to talk? They might offer me so much money. I'd be like, well, forget it. I'm going to do it. Anyway. <laughs> I'm trying to pretend I'm 20. I still got the costume guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean like who knows, but, uh, but, uh, but you know, and so far as making a new show for a new generation, I, I wouldn't, I would suggest, no, I shouldn't be in it. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we are out of time, but before we go, yeah. I have one last little question. Please. Do you remember the lyrics to Jocks or the Mighty? I sure do. Could we get a little bit of it? No effing way, man. Oh, come on. No effing way. <laughs> no, look, here, look. I mean, like, that's, look, that, I would love to do it, but that, that show, that was, I got to admit, the most irritating thing after I had done that bit, I remember coming up with the, the, the moment and it was uh, actually, sorry, it wasn't my idea. It was Josh Becker's idea, the director of that particular episode. And he came up to me and he said, I have a great idea when you're trapped in this little uh, dungeon with Renee. And what you're going to do is uh, you're going to sing a song because people hate it when other people are singing songs like and he explained it to me this way you know how when you're on a long road trip and someone starts singing but they can't sing very well and you're trapped with that person for another six hours you know it's like that and I thought that was the funniest friggin idea and so Josh Becker and I came up with that song and those lyrics together it was really he and I both did it and then I, I, I sang that thing but damn man that thing just I'm so glad it has legs and I'm so happy um, that fans love it so much, but I sang it at so many conventions and eventually that's all the fans wanted to hear. And I, I, I'm appreciative of it, but I can't sing that damn thing anymore. It sounds like, right. anyway, I'm not that good of a singer, so, um, probably shouldn't do it anyway, but thank you for the kind. <laughs> of course, of course. I can only imagine how Lucy feels since everyone, uh, asks yeah. her to always do the Xena yell. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh crap, man. I mean, yeah. um, anyway, I'm, I'm, here's what I'm most glad about them, Katie. And, I'm I'm just glad the fans still dig it, you know. I'm and I'm glad that uh, despite the fact that I honestly thought I did a very mediocre job of what something that could have been great um, was out there. I think it still uh, really resonates with fans, and I think that most of all, Lucy and Renee are like two of the most iconic gals on television uh, because you know they they were that good. I, I really believe so. But it was a fun time in my life. And, um, uh, you know, I, it was too much fun. I had, I had too good a time making that TV show, which is why I think I probably could have done a much better job in those days, you know. But uh, that's just for me to you because I don't think I'll be giving really any more Xena interviews, which is why I'm trying to be as honest with you as I can. Um, I, I don't really like to give them, but because this is the 25th anniversary, I'm like, okay, you know, let's uh, – let's, uh, Let's talk one more time about this, you know. Um, but your questions were awesome. Thank you. I couldn't be more appreciative. To be honest, you are the only cast member from Xena I have not met personally and or have ever interviewed before. So I hope to meet you in person one day and one day soon. Um, do you go to, uh, I think that I'm, I'm only doing one last Xena convention of all. 
And I think it's in next year in Burbank, California. I'm not mistaken. Yep, they they moved it to April, I believe. April. So if you're yeah. there, I'll I'll see you there then. Because please please say I hi. I believe I'll be there. I I I really couldn't be more appreciative to have the opportunity to talk to you. I think just hearing from you and hearing the stories and hearing about the character and your career in general is just awesome. It's really really cool. Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time and uh, uh, yeah, and thanks for the cooking tips too. <laughs> you got it. I'm looking forward to hearing about that brisket. If I wasn't such a brisket coward, I'd throw that thing on the grill, but I, I am kind of a brisket coward. So I got to wait till I make a cheaper roast to test the, you know, Katie Wilson grilling theory. <laughs> I mean, ooh, I hope it works out because I don't want to be to blame. <laughs> oh, come on. It's going to be an awesome experiment. I love experimenting. It's just that some people are by the book cooks. That's true. That's true. I am not. I'm a throw everything in a pot and it's dinner. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. It's like, let's Majority see. Majority of the time it turns out good. So. Yeah, I think so too. You know, it also depends what you're doing. I mean, you know, you it's could true. easily muck something up, obviously, <laughs> but it depends that what you're making. Um, hey man, thanks for your time and thanks for having me on this podcast. Wow, you guys. Wow, that was amazing. I could literally sit here and just talk to Ted for the next week, like all the rest of these episodes, I could just be chatting with Ted. He is such an awesome guy. And it was so great to to hear more about Joxer and and just hear all those incredible stories. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind hitting that subscribe button, hitting that like button, leaving us a nice review wherever you listen to this podcast. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Fangirls. That's Sci-Fi, F-A-N-G-R-R-L-S. And I'm at the Katie Wilson. You don't want to miss our next episode, so be on the lookout. They're only getting better and better. And I am so excited. See you next time. 